I love that verse. If we keep silent, the rocks will. Oh, that was weak. You guys are like pebbles. <laughs> if we keep silent, the rocks will. There we go. Yeah, they will. Hey, I am Pastor Phil, if you don't know me. And as of, I think, just a few days ago, I am the family pastor, I guess. So I've inherited all the children and kids. And uh, so glad to be here. And you, you thank me now, but, you know, we'll see. But... No, it's, uh, I'm excited you're here, and if you notice, we've got a lot of our high schoolers in here. I asked them to be here this morning to hear this sermon um, for reasons you'll see. But uh, yeah, I, we're so glad you're here. I know, I just want to say a big thank you to volunteers, parents, leaders, um, not this past week, but the week before for Mega Sports Camp. What a huge undertaking for Reach Mansfield, 66 different students serving for that whole week, um, just the logistics, you know, with Kelly and Spencer and everyone, just all you volunteers, um, what a thing to celebrate as a church. Um, we had almost 200 kids come to the sports camp, many of whom had no church background, and just be praying. You know, a lot of kids made decisions for the first time in their lives to follow Jesus. So um, definitely be praying for those kids and their families that uh, hopefully they can lean in and make this more their home. So I wanted to bring to attention real quick something that I'm excited about that we've done Starting this week, um, we kind of redesigned the bulletin a little bit. And, you know, my first impression, and even bulletin is like a really old word. Um, I, I like, I put on their worship guide. My first impression of this was like, whoa, chaos. And the first time I came here. And it is a thing to celebrate. Marina has a lot of things going on, doesn't it? A lot of amazing things. That's a good thing. We should be thankful of that. We should want to put that on display. But... Who struggles most in a church to know who to talk to, know who to contact, and to get a message? It's a guest. And so this has been designed thinking about the guest. Because we want to be a hospitable church, don't we? A church where people who can come in for the first time and know exactly who they should talk to, what their next step is. And so we redesigned this thinking of the guest in mind. And so the first whole page spread is who we are and what to expect today. How to get connected. What's your next step? It talks about having a connect card on there. Social media is on there as well as the website. Because we want to point people to make a connection with us so that we can build a relationship with them. And then the bulletin's broken down with, hey, this is who we are, what to expect. How can you get connected? You have children? Here's some information about children. And here's some information about students. Something we've done in the past is we've broken up announcements by ministry. So what you would have is, under kids, for instance, or, or students, you'd say, hey, we need more volunteers. We need people to help watch your three-year-olds. And right next to that, we would say, hey, you have three-year-olds? We'd love to have them. See how that's two different messages in the same sentence? It's like, hey, we really want your kids, but we don't have anyone to watch them yet. That's not very hospitable. And so what we've done is you have connect, and that's, again, how can you move in, your kids, your students, how can you move into community? And then after that, we have serve, and you have give there, serve, pray. These will change as times go on, as there's needs, but this is really for those who call Berean their home. You're engaged. Hey, what needs do we have as a family? How can we make a next step? So and then we still have, you know, the sermon notes on the back, and, and there'll be, it's an ebb and flow, it's a work in progress, but if you have any feedback, if you let me or Diana know, we'd love to hear it. We want to make this a document that's helpful to you and to those who visit our church for the first time. So, you know, we're gearing up already for fall ministry. And I know in student ministry, we're already thinking about fall advance, our big retreat and, and other events that we have coming down. And we always do this thing called fall advance, this retreat. 
in October. And last year, I had a really interesting experience I wanted to tell you about. So we had all these students over at Pleasant Valley Ranch, and we just had done this awesome game called Spotlight, which, you know, if the students are in the room, they, they've probably told you about Spotlight, where you try to creep up and, and put, your, you're on a team, you put your color paper in the bucket. And uh, we just played that, and we had free time before bedtime. Some kids went off to the cabins. Uh, you know, other kids were at the game room or just hanging out in the gym. And I was just walking through, just saying hi to different people. And I was going through the parking lot, which is right near the gym. And I, there, all the cars were parked there. Some of the high schoolers had driven their own cars. And this one car was on, which was a little weird. And the windows were completely steamed up. Okay? That's like the youth pastor's worst nightmare. I, I'm just like, this can't be good. This is not good. I'm like, is there another adult leader around that I can send that way? You know, I'm looking for someone to help. And I'm just like... It's on me. i got to be a responsible adult in the room. So I kind of walk over, you know, a little fearful of what I might expect, and I can see there's, there's people in the car, and I was like, oh, no, this is not good. What's going on? You know, I leaned in. I couldn't really see. Knocked on the window, and the, the window scrolls down. And it was four girls talking, okay? And I was like, whew, okay, okay. I was a little nervous there for a second what this might be. And it turns out what they were talking about was very significant. And I said, hey, what are you guys doing in the dark, in a car, talking? And I, oh, I guess we should tell them. All right. And what started was a three-hour conversation about significant doubts and unbelief that these girls were experiencing. We, we talked to 1.30 a.m., and Mick Leach was there with me, and we had a few other students that jumped in, and we are just talking about what were some of the things they were really struggling with. And, you know, and these students, these girls one was from a Christian school background, one was from a homeschool background, and one was from a public school background, okay? They all came from families that I would say are doing their best to make disciples in the home and invest in their kids. And yet they all were struggling with some of those same core issues. Does God exist? How do I know the Bible's true? How do I know that this is the only way? You know, doubts don't discriminate, do they? They come and they find all of us. And, you know, as the youth pastor here for three and a half years, I'll tell you, that is not an isolated conversation. That is my life as a student pastor here. And that's not because of anything about us at Berean or anything about the families here. It is a state of our culture. You see, we are experiencing what I believe is a significant cultural wave of unbelief a cultural wave of unbelief, unlike, I think, has been seen in our country ever. Okay, there is a movement in our country to unseat religion and Christianity specifically. You know, times have changed. We can't assume that people just believe in God. You know, if you're a student in the room, you know that's true. You don't just assume that, right? That's not the case. Or that they believe the Bible. It used to be you could say, oh, well, the Bible says, and people would be like, oh, okay, I guess I should do that. Or I guess I should believe that. In the day we live, I don't care what the Bible says. The Bible's not true. The Bible's full of errors. That's the world we live in. And we're seeing a significant cultural wave of unbelief. You can call yourself anything you want. Believe whatever you wish. And behave in any way you want as long as you don't harm someone else. And as disturbing as it is in our culture, you can't harm anyone else unless they want you to. We live in a time that has lost any center for what is truth and what is right. The only ethic that seems to be absolute is I am the God of myself. 
That's the only thing that needs to go. I am the God of myself. Isn't that true? Isn't that what we see? You know, it's reminiscent of a poem called Invictus by William Ernest Henley, where he says, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. But I think we've even gone a step further where I'm the God of my fate. I'm the Lord of my soul. You know, Fuller Youth Institute found that half of high schoolers involved in church will walk away after graduation. Okay, so that means if we graduate, like we did this year, about 30 seniors, chances are in a year or two, 15 of them won't be involved in a church. That should break our hearts, and we need to do something about it. And what's even more sad than that is that the reason, one of the primary reasons they said that they left in the students that were surveyed was the church failed to engage difficult questions. The church failed to address difficult questions. And that's, it's not saying the answers to the hard questions turned them off and so they left. It's the opposite. It's we didn't even engage them. And so we, church, we need to be a church that doesn't shy away from the hard questions the world is asking. We need to lean into them and say, if truth is on our side, and I believe it is, and God is truth, we don't have to be afraid of any question, do we? The truth is on our side. We need to lean in. We need to lean into that. You know, our, our culture is teaching us that we can rationally explain our existence apart from God. We can rationally explain our existence apart from God. And even more so, I think this is a one step further, that belief in the Christian God, the God of the Bible, is an enemy to human freedom and flourishing. To human freedom and flourishing. You know, if you're older than 55 in the room, and I think some of you are here, about 9% of your generation was either atheist or agnostic. Okay, about 1 in 10 said there is no God or I don't think I know. In my generation, millennials, that's risen to 15%. Okay, so just from that generation, 15%. I want you to be able to hear me here. This guy's not being kind to me. There we go. All right, maybe. All right. I'm going to just move to a handheld. Can I just move to the handheld, Mikey? Can you hear me now? All right. There we go. And if this doesn't distract you, it won't distract me either. All right. So, 15% millennials. Now, Generation Z, that's you teenagers in there. Where are the teenagers in the room? Raise your hand if you're under 20. All right? Don't be shy. All right. Your generation is 21% atheist or agnostic. 21%. And that's with, you know, Generation Z, most of you are too young to even be part of this survey. And you know that that wave of unbelief is coming, right? You see that in your schools. We see that in our community. We see that in our culture. There's this wave of unbelief. And so how should we respond as the church? You know, I see a lot of us, and I see many, on Facebook at least, you know, we get up in arms. We get angry, right? We're like, ah, oh, we need to fight for Christian America back. And what I would say is, we need to identify who the enemy is. Okay, the enemy isn't this new atheism. The enemy isn't the LGBTQ movement. The enemy isn't religious or political liberalism. The enemy is sin, and the enemy is Satan who seeks to destroy people. Okay, and we need to contend for the faith, like Jude 3 says. We need to contend earnestly for the faith, once for all delivered to the saints. And so that's what this whole series is about. 
I want us as a church to lean in to this wave of unbelief and stand strong, stand fast against it and say, we're going to address two of them, I think, biggest questions that the world is throwing at us. Does God exist? And we're going to talk about that question today. And then how can God exist and allow the evil pain and suffering that we see in the world? And that'll be next week. So today, how does God exist? Now, this, this is a huge issue, all right? And if you're interested in apologetics, you like reading about this, there's no way I can do these issues justice here in the next 20, 25 minutes and next week, all right? So what I aim to do is just introduce this subject. And on BereanFamily.com, and if you do slash believe or just click on the link there for the Why Believe series, we have blogs that are being posted unpacking some of these different arguments and these different ideas, all right? So go on there. If you want to, there's some videos on there too if you want to watch them as a family. And go deeper. Make it a conversation that goes both ways, not just, oh, I heard Pastor Philkin, now I'm going to go. Let, let's engage this. Parents, engage this, these ideas with your students. We need not be afraid of doubt. But doubt, if we let it fester, gives birth to unbelief. And that is something to be afraid of. Because unbelief leads away from God, leads away from God's way, and it leads to death. So, I know as I prayed with the worship team, you know, before the first service, and as I just approached this series, and I thought about the enormity of the issues at hand, I remembered that it's not more information that we need, is it? It's a spirit-empowered transformation of our hearts, every one of us, and of those in our families, in our city, in our state, and in our country. And so before we we, we jump into this. Can we just bow our heads and let's just pray and ask a merciful, holy God that he would help us. Jesus, we are so aware of our inability to bring forth new life in our hearts or anyone else's. And Lord, break our hearts for where our culture is going where our culture is taking our children. And Lord, may we not stand idly by and lose a generation of what could be Christians. But Lord, we're dependent on you. You need to bring forth that fruit. But God, would we be faithful? Would you strengthen us to be faithful in contending for the truth? God, I thank you that we don't have to fear. We don't have to fear where America may be in 50 years or a hundred years, because your kingdom endures forever, and Lord, you are building your church, but Lord, we want to stand in the gap, we want to stand fast for the truth, knowing that you alone are the way, the truth, and the life, and so God, as we look at your word, would you open our hearts, prepare our hearts for what you want to teach us, and would you give us, through your spirit, empowerment, to declare your truth to a world that is dying apart from you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. All right, if you've got your Bible, you can open up to Psalm 14, or if you want to get on your phone or tablet and turn there as well. We're going to be bouncing around all over the place this morning. So if you're one of those people that likes to follow along and, like, turn to every scripture I've got, I'll have some of them on the screen but you're going to have to look at the notes in the back of the bulletin, maybe review some of it later. Um, but I'll try to go at a pace that you can keep up as well. But Psalm 14 is where we're going to start. 
this morning and just read the verse, first few verses. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They, the fools, are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. All have turned away. All have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Doesn't that seem like the culture we see sometimes? When we look at the news, we just see where our culture has slid. When we watch Hollywood, it's just like, it seems like it's everywhere. Psalm 10, 4, if you've got a page, turn it back, says similarly, in his pride, the wicked man does not seek him, God. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. There is no room for God. It's so interesting that in the last 25 to 50 years, as atheism and agnosticism has risen, and Christianity to some extent has declined, cultural Christianity at least, that we see that on that same graph, immorality follow that same line. So we've got this line of unbelief, this wave of unbelief, and with it comes, I think, a wave of sin. And that shouldn't surprise us, because when we put off a belief in God, we also put off the way that God commands. And as we, you know, we, I see it on, at Christmas time, you see the atheists moving, put on billboards, just be good for goodness sake. That doesn't work. That doesn't work because if there is no creator to whom I'm responsible, there's no God by whom we judge right and wrong, it's subjective. It's relative to a group of people or an individual. And so we become our own God. And so we see that unbelief and sinfulness follow that same line. That shouldn't surprise us. So we must contend for the faith. And what I want to address this morning, head on, is unbelief unbelief. Because I believe it is what has caused this wave of immorality. People don't fear what their lifestyle may bring because they have no fear of the God who judges the living and the dead. Unbelief is the problem. A lack of faith is the problem. And so we need to be ambassadors of Christ that proclaim faith and belief in God. Now as we approach Two arguments for God this morning that I want to talk about because I want to answer doubt and belief in the existence of God. Know that there's no silver bullet. I wish there was. I wish I could be like, okay, here it is. Phil's silver bullet to dethrone any atheist. You can take them all out. Okay, right with this. Like that is not the case. Now, there are dozens of great arguments, I believe, for the existence of God. And I believe that in the sum of all of them, it is the most rational choice to say that there is a God, even from a secular perspective. I believe that. But there isn't any one thing, one idea that you're going to take away and be like, okay, I got it now. I'm going to go home. I'm going to tell my husband. And, oh, man, he's going to turn to Jesus right then and there. All right, that is not the case or your son or your child or your coworker. And so we need to, again, remember that we are here to represent Jesus. But I hope that in some of these instances, in some of these arguments, you are given some questions to ask someone that will hopefully provoke conversation that leads them a step or two closer to God. Does that sound good? Can we do that? All right, we got one guy who wants to do it. All right. Can we do that? All right, all right. Let's do it again. Okay. The first reason I think believing in the existence of God is rational and reasonable is I think our universe needs a cause. And God is 
the uncaused cause. Okay, some people in apologetics, they call this the cosmological argument. Okay, there needs to be a first cause. God's word teaches us this. This is no surprise, okay? What philosophers and scientists give us, God's word has been saying for thousands of years. From Genesis to Revelation, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That means that God was preexistent to time, space, and matter. God has always been and will always be. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. God brought everything into being that we see. Everything. And all the way to Revelation 4, the end of God's word, right? Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory, honor, and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. God has created everything we see. They find their origin, their cause in him. Psalm 33, 6. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Their starry host, by the breath of his mouth. Okay, can you even fathom that? The universe, billions upon billions of stars, by the word, the breath of his mouth, the universe comes into being. Colossians 1, speaking of Christ, said, for by him... All things were created. Okay, what do you mean by all things? What, Paul, what do you mean by? Those things in heaven and on earth. Okay, that seems like most things. Uh, invisible and invisible. Thrones, rulers, dominions, authorities. All things were created through him. And get this, for him. For him. God created everything. He is the uncaused cause. cause. John 1, 3. All things were made through him and without him. You know, in case that doesn't make sense. Okay, is that... Not encapsulating enough. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Everything made came from God. He is the uncaused cause. He is that first cause. It's God's word is clear. Okay, I'm in an interesting time as a parent. All right, I've got a six-year-old Andrew and a four-year-old Asher. And they're starting to do this thing that's really annoying at times. They ask questions, Okay. How many of you have kids that ask questions, okay? Now, sometimes those are good. It's just like, hey, what time's dinner? You know, that's, for one time that's good. Tenth time, that's not good, okay? But, like, questions like that. But these are harder. Questions like, Daddy, where did I come from? And it's a, huh. You know, I, Parenting 101 didn't prepare me for that question. You know, and so I'm just like, oh, duh, uh, when a man loves a woman, you know, that's all I got. That's all I got, you know. I don't know what else to say. I'm just like, oh, yeah, well, yeah, mommy and daddy got married, and then a few years later, you just came along, you know. And so I try to explain as best I can. It's like, what can I tell a six-year-old? I don't know. If only we lived on a farm, it might be easier, okay. <laughs> I haven't got a farm. I can go, yeah. But it's natural that we would ask that question, where did I come from? And humanity's been asking that question. And our culture, I think, asks that same question. Where did we come from? That's a question every person has. It's an element of their worldview. Where did we come from? Because everything we see in the natural universe had a cause. It came from somewhere. Every one of you had a mom and a dad. Every one of you did, whether you like it or not, right? Okay, and, and secular science confirms that our universe came from something, from somewhere at a point in time. And because we, we live, something can't come from 
Nothing. Even the atheist Stephen Hawking said, almost everyone now believes that the universe and time itself had a beginning. Wow. I'm so glad for modern physics to tell us that. What God's Word has been saying for thousands of years was that there was a beginning. And finally, science has caught up to that reality, that there was a beginning. In astronomy and physics, they almost all unanimously point to a single point of beginning in time and space. But what caused that beginning? Now, this morning, I'm not going to get into young earth creationism versus theistic evolution. So if you showed up wanting to talk about that, I'll be here afterwards, but I'm not going to stay more than 10 minutes, okay? So, but I love that issue. But believe me, I am, I've read on that issue and, you know, whether Genesis 1 is literal or is it poetic. I am very passionate about that issue. I don't want to open that can of worms because what I, what I see here is in our culture, we have people who are rejecting the belief of God. And I want to take people a step at a time towards believing in God because if we can believe them, get them to believe in God, then maybe we can get them to the next step. Maybe God has spoken. Maybe God has spoken through his son. Okay? And I think all of that, those other beliefs will follow. But when we're talking to someone who's struggling with unbelief, let's keep to the basics. Where did we come from? Where did we come from? Something doesn't come from nothing. And even scientists say, hey, there was a beginning. There was a singularity, a point in time. Ask them this. What caused that to happen? What was before that? And if they enter into anything before that point in time, they're in the realm of faith, which is exactly where God is. So we can meet people there and have them take a step. Well, okay, fine, you believe in the Big Bang. What caused the Big Bang? I don't know. You know, can something come from nothing? Now, you know, again, I'm not arguing one way or the other along those lines, but how can we use the language of our culture to get people towards belief and take a step towards belief in God and the God who may have spoken? Okay, Francis Collins, the leader of the Human Genome Project, said this, I can't imagine how nature, in this case the universe, universe could have created itself. And the very fact that the universe had a beginning implies that someone was able to begin it. And it seems to me that that had to be outside of nature. Okay, Richard Dawkins, one of the most preeminent atheists out there, he hates religion of all kinds. I got to hear him live um, share and do some readings from his book, The God Delusion. And uh, it was really interesting to hear him. It was, he was kind of boring. He didn't really speak. He just read from his book. But the interesting part was he did a Q&A afterwards. And he was asked this question. He was asking, what caused everything to happen? Where did we come from? And, you know, and he tried to skirt the issue and say, hey, well, where did God come from? And the person wisely was asking the question. They said, God doesn't live by the rules of our universe. He's outside it. Everything we know in, in our universe has a cause. It had a beginning. God is eternal. He didn't have that. And Richard Dawkins, leading atheist in the world, says, well, that's all too easy, isn't it? You know, and I was up in the balcony, and I was just want to be like, yes, <laughs> you got it, man, you got it. It is. But everything we see in the observation, in observation of our universe, everything has a cause. You know, if a ball came flying out of the balcony and hit you in the head, you wouldn't say, oh, wow, I'm so, it's so interesting that this ball just appeared and materialized over my head and hit me. 
You would look up at the balcony and say, okay, who's up there throwing, throwing stuff at me, okay? You realize it has a cause. What pushed the first domino over? Scripture, and I think science, teaches us that God is the uncaused cause. So when you're in a conversation with someone who doesn't believe in God, who's having doubts, say, where did it all come from? Where did we come from? Okay, that's a great place to start. Second thing, I believe creation points us to a creator. Okay, this is an argument from design. If you've heard of the idea of intelligent design, the fact that when we look at creation, it seems like things were made with purpose to be a certain way, that our existence couldn't have just been random. It's too finely adjusted. Okay, we just got, um, Sarah's parents were in town this past week for the fourth, and we have a good, they brought Andrew and Asher this little set of cars that was really cool. Well, the one stopped working. They were going this track and, and, and stuff, and it stopped working, and I looked at it. I got a screwdriver out. There had been a hair that was caught in, in the wheel. And so I was able to get that out, and then it worked fine. But as I was looking at the different pieces of that little race car, I was like, man, this is an amazing put-together machine. I'm so glad someone threw a bunch of metal and plastic and bolts in a bucket, and this thing just came to be. No, it was designed. And I think creation, far more than a little car, shows this element of design. And God's word teaches this too. Psalm 19, if you're still in Psalms, turn over to chapter 19, 1 to 4. It says this, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. Psalm 8 says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you even care for them. Have you ever stopped and looked at the stars the enormous universe that we're a part of, just a tiny little part of our solar system in a huge galaxy in a massive universe and thought, we are really tiny. We're like a speck on a speck. We're nothing. W what does that make me in light of the whole universe? And the beauty of it, one of the favorite things that we do in Haiti is we stay on the balcony every night uh, for our team times, and we do sharing, and if you've been there, experience that. It's a neat time. We always sing to the Lord and praise Him, um, and we're always looking up at the stars. And usually the electricity's out, you know, in uh, beyond there where we stay, and you can see a show. And we usually do some sharing from a book study that we're having, and, and there's one rule, okay? If you see a shooting star, you can call it out, no matter what's happening, all right? Shooting star, and you can point it up. And so usually students are, like, laying there and just looking up and gazing at the wonder of the sky. When I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place, what is man that we're mindful of you? The heavens declare the glory of God. We live in a magnificent universe. You know, I'm not going to get into it today, but I have a blog called The Argument from Beauty. And that's a very powerful argument from God, because if beauty is in the eye of the beholder, it's completely subjective. How could we, through natural process, learn to appreciate things that are beautiful, like music and art and a sunset? What does it matter 
it's just a chemical thing going on over here. No, something in our heart screams out in that moment, I can't be an atheist. I can't not believe. Creation points to a creator. Even when we look at ourselves, Psalm 139, for you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Have you ever thought about the human eye and the complexity of your eye? The fact that you're, most of you, I think, are looking at me and able to focus and then hear, and your brain's able to process those images. The wonder that that is. Frank Turk and Norm Geisler wrote an excellent book worth reading if you have someone who's struggling with doubt called I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. And he looks at the philosophy behind it, the science. The idea that that, this, could happen by accident. Imagine you're walking on the beach, you know, and I think we'd all probably love to be at the beach right now. You know, we're all like the, the people who didn't get to go to the beach for the July 4th weekend, right? But I'm so glad you're here, right? And so you're walking along the beach and you see in the sand, I love you. Okay, and I know your first assumption would be, wow, those waves are amazing. Look what they can do. These waves can write. You know, it's like Moana or something, all right? It's just like, no, even if you didn't see anyone else on the beach, what you would think immediately was someone else has been here. That's seven, eight letters, three words, and you know someone's been there. Have you ever contemplated DNA, the, the, the language that writes our bodies? If you tabulated all the, your DNA just in your body, did you know that that would be over a million sheets of single-sided paper? That's how much information... It is to make you, you. If you stacked all those papers high, just to give you an example, it would be as tall as the Washington Monument. Is that a lot of information? I'm so glad all that information randomly came together. No, we, we know intuitively, but our culture lies to us that something doesn't come from nothing. We recognize intelligent design all the time. Do we see it in our world? The heavens declare the glory of God. You know, and I, I could talk about, like, the fundamental constants of our universe, like gravity and nuclear force. If they were off by, like, one part in a million, life couldn't exist. I'm so glad we lucked out to be in the universe that had the right ones. What, what a beauty. You know, atheists have a faith, too. Their faith is in time and chance. That's their God. You know, but God reveals himself as the designer, the creator. And it's obvious. The heavens declare the glory of God. You know, as you drove to work today, I thought this was interesting. You know, you thought you might maybe were just going 35 miles per hour. Or maybe if you're on 71, 70 miles per hour. You were actually going close to 1,000 miles per hour as the earth turned around. Just rotated on its axis. And then you were going 67,000 miles per hour through space around the sun. We lucked out to be on this planet, didn't we? Wow, what a lucky turn of events that we're here and we're not just flying off this planet. It has the right atmosphere, the right gravitational force. It takes a lot of faith to believe that that was just an accident. A lot of faith. And we need to recognize that. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. There is no God. Romans 1.20 says it like this. For since the creation of the world... God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. Without excuse. 
It's no wonder that our culture is in shambles. Okay, everyone is screaming louder than ever, you matter, you matter, you matter, you matter. But the same cultural authorities and elites say in the same sentence, you're an accident. You're an accident. It was just luck. You see the conflict there? It brings forth the same unbelief, and unbelief has consequences. I believe that the belief in God is not just the reasonable choice. It's the only choice for us and for anyone who wants to live their life with any lasting hope, purpose, or meaning. Only a belief in God can give that. Because if you're just an accident, what does it matter? Why does anything matter? You know, just a few months ago, I was sitting across, having lunch with a, a person who, a young student who'd grown up and through, been in church, been in a Christian family, and they said simply, I don't know if I believe in God. They've been experiencing this wave of unbelief. So I don't know. I don't know if I can believe it. And what he didn't need to hear in that moment was, you just got to believe. You just got to believe. Just, just believe a little more. That's, it takes faith. God has given us wide open, black and white demonstrations of his creative power that he is real. And we need to point our young people, we need to point our own hearts toward those demonstrations of his being real. God exists. We need to, as 1 Peter 3.15 says, always be ready to give an answer for everyone, to anyone who asks the reason for the hope we have in us. I, I believe that is the reasonable, rational choice to believe in God because he's the uncaused cause and he is the creator of creation. He's the designer. You know, there's no, I think, more powerful demonstration that God exists than in the person of Jesus. You know, and if you heard Eric Ass preached a great message on liar, lunatic, Lord here in November, you can go back and listen to that. Um, he's one of our missionaries up at Kent State. Um, but Jesus is one of the most persuasive persuasive arguments we can have for the existence of God. And I think it'd be fitting to finish this service in celebrating, you know, the Lord's Supper and remembering that we don't just have a God who's far off, who made all things. We have a God who's near and showed himself to be near by sending his only son to die on the cross for us. Our creator God brought himself near. Hebrews 1 talks about this. It says, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. God has revealed himself most vividly through Jesus, his son. So if I could invite the deacons forward, I'd like us just to prepare our hearts to worship and remember the great God we serve who loves us enough to send his son, Jesus. So if you'd just bow your heads and just pray for me as we prepare our hearts. God, I thank you that you've shown yourself to be real, to be true, to exist. And God, I ask that in this time as we cast our mind on Calvary and remember that you died for us, that we would rejoice in our hearts and remember what you went through to reconcile us to you. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone in this room who's just experiencing unbelief or is caught 
in unbelief. Lord, may they see the beauty of the cross and see that, God, you made a way for them to be reconciled to you. Oh, we thank you that you are good and you are bigger than us. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to uh, distribute the bread first, and uh, feel free, the music's going to be playing, to take part whenever you're ready, whenever your heart's ready. And then right following after, we'll distribute the juice. And hold on to that, because I'd like us to celebrate together at the end. So just hold on to that, and we'll partake of that together. Um, but I wanted to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And Paul said this, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We're going to have the deacon Tom Schultz just pray before we receive communion. Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you for another opportunity Thanks to your grace and your goodness to gather together in your name. We thank you that you sent your only begotten son. That you had a plan from the very beginning, God. You knew that we were going to fall short, but you love us anyways. And you choose to use us anyways. Thank you, Lord, that, that you see the good in us even when we don't sometimes. Thank you, Lord, that you gave your very life for us, your blood and your body were broken. Thank you again for the opportunity to commemorate what you've done for us and hopefully to go out from this day living as though you've done these things for us. We ask this in your name.